When Jesus came down from the mountain, as our gospel text begins, he was coming down from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. You can read all about the big teaching of Jesus, maybe one of the most significant and central parts of the gospel of Matthew, of really all the gospels, of maybe even the whole Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. People had heard him, and God's word is powerful, the preaching of Jesus changed lives, it changed hearts, it changed minds. And so when he came down from the mountain, it is no surprise that there were flocks of people, crowds of people who wanted to talk to Jesus, who wanted to be healed by Jesus, who wanted to interact with their Lord. Behold, it is no surprise that a leper came and knelt before him. Behold, it is no surprise that a centurion came asking for his help. As someone who teaches a lot for a part of my living, and you've probably experienced this too, either as a teacher or as a student or both, it is always very satisfactory, very satisfying whenever a student gets it, whenever something clicks, whenever what was taught is not just learned for the sake of putting it down for the right answer on a test, a few weeks later, but is embodied by the student. Something that cannot be simply put away and forgotten about a couple weeks later. And that is what seems to happen to some of these people who hear the preaching of Jesus. And we want to look especially today at this centurion. For in verse 10, we hear this. Truly, Jesus says, Amen. Jesus says, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at this man's faith. It had clicked for that centurion, what he had probably heard up on the mountain, or had heard some other way, it clicked for him. And he had marvelous faith. Jesus marveled at his faith. It was a marvelous Amazing, beautiful faith that he had. An unlikely student, a noble Roman soldier, the kind of soldier who would be tasked later on to hang Jesus on a cross. An unlikely student, but nonetheless, it it clicked for him. And he had marvelous faith. So what is this marvelous faith that he had? What makes up this marvelous faith. That's what we want to consider today. And I would propose to you that it is rather simple. Oftentimes, the enemies of Jesus, the enemies of the gospel, they want to make things complex. Jesus talks about those who will deny such simple faith. He says they will be cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But for this man, there is a simple faith that he has. He explains it simply, and so we'll split it up into three parts here. The first is the first thing that he says. Lord, I am not worthy that you would come under my house. After he explains the situation, he makes this very simple confession. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. 
I'm not worthy. True faith, good faith, simple faith, marvelous faith, it begins with repentance. And repentance, if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you know has two simple parts. And the first part is this, a good confession of sin. The second is to receive and trust in the Lord's absolution. But the first part is simply this, Lord, I am not worthy. To confess our sins, to confess and recognize our unholiness, our sinfulness, both the sin we inherited from our father Adam and the sins which we have committed since. Notice what the servant Uh, The centurion says here, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. In other words, he does, of course, recognize him as the man who is there preaching, as the man who is there standing before him. But he also recognizes him as God. For what is the consequence of sin? What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden When they committed a sin against their Lord, they were separated from him. This is what sin cause is. It causes unholiness. It causes us to not be able to stand before our holy God. It causes us to be separate from him. And so when he recognizes that he is unworthy to be in the presence, to be with, to be unseparated from the Lord his God... In the person of Jesus Christ, he is recognizing his unholiness. He is recognizing the main consequence of his sin. And he recognizes that even though his Lord, Jesus Christ, is now having compassion on him, he still is not unworthy. He recognizes the nature of sin. And Jesus praises this confession as part of his faith. Although Jesus still wants to come to him, although Jesus would still come to his house, he says, I will come and heal him. In fact, without hesitation, I will come and be with you. It is still good for us to not take that merciful Jesus for granted, to recognize that we should still confess our sins, that we should still see our unworthiness. And so confess. Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Pray to God and ask for his forgiveness of your sins. Come to church and in the divine service, whenever we confess our sins, I, a poor, miserable sinner, and even when we have that little time of silence where you can think about what sins those are, Repent of your sins, and then hear the absolution spoken to you. And if you want this on even a more specific level, like what we've been talking about in Lutheranism 101, you can listen to the podcast if you couldn't come. You can also come to me for an individual confession and absolution to get extra comfort for those sins which lay on your heart. You can also talk to your fellow Christians your fellow neighbors, the people sitting in the brown chairs around you. Tell them about the sins that are bothering you and let them proclaim the gospel to you in your life when you need it. 
For Jesus is willing to come under your roof. He is willing to come to you and absolve your sins. He is willing to come to you and be with you. And so confess your sins and receive his absolution. Confess your sins and receive all his gifts. In fact, I love this prayer. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word and your servant will be healed. In fact, that is a liturgical prayer or a prayer that said here in Matthew 8 is picked up in our liturgy later on. It is the old prayer. I don't print it in the bulletin. Maybe I should. The old prayer that many people pray before they receive the body of Christ that the Lord suffer. That right before they receive Jesus coming into their flesh, right before they receive the very presence of Jesus for them, it is very appropriate to pray this prayer. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word and my soul will be healed. And then Jesus comes under our roof anyway, because he is that merciful. So this is the first thing that makes up marvelous faith. Confessing our sin, recognizing our unworthiness before him. And that leads us right into the next thing. The second part of that verse, the second part of that marvelous prayer, only say the word. Only say the word. That's all that's needed. Oftentimes in the Gospels, it is interesting when Jesus do when people come to Jesus for their the miracles that he's going to do. Oftentimes, unlike here, Jesus is kind of resistant to do the miracles. He'll question them first. He kind of makes sure that it's a miracle he wants to do. Or also something else you can notice is something that happens with the leper a few verses earlier is that Jesus will command the person after he's done the miracle to not go and tell anyone about what he's done. Now, the reason for these things, the reason for his resistance to miracles and the reason for the messianic secret, as it's sometimes called, is because Jesus does not want to be viewed as some sort of spectacular or magical miracle worker that people can just come to for a good show or come to whenever they just need to be healed from some physical ailment and then forget about the rest of all the things that Jesus teaches about. In other words, he doesn't want people to miss the forest for the trees. Jesus came for one primary purpose, and that is to seek and to save the lost by the shedding of his blood on the cross and the rising again of his body from the tomb. In other words, he came to speak his word of life, his word of death and resurrection to all people. That's why he came. And if people mistake him only for a miracle worker and do not see the bigger reason why he came, not just to restore creation in this one moment, in this one instance, but to restore all of creation because of all of the effects of sin, then we would have totally missed the point. And we can kind of do the same thing today, I think, when we think about Jesus and when we think about his word. Not so much in that we're going out and looking for miracles or healing. But in the way that we will tend to sometimes think of Jesus as a last resort for our problems. 
Maybe if the medicine doesn't work right away, or maybe if I've tried a lot of other things, then I'll start to pray to Jesus for healing and for physical strength. Maybe if the new diet or the right nutritional balances don't work, then I'll start to pray to Jesus and see if he can help me. Or maybe after I've exhausted all my options with all of the places I could try and get a little bit more money to try and get a little more cushion for the bills that are increasing with inflation, maybe then I'll start to pray to Jesus to see if maybe he can help me with my financial problems. Or when I'm lonely after I've exhausted all my options of watching a lot of Netflix to try and dull the pain or after I've tried to reach out to all my friends and see if they can distract me. Maybe then I'll talk to Jesus about my problems of loneliness and fear and depression. When we start to think of Jesus as a last resort in these ways, we are starting to think of him as just someone we can go to for a miracle, forgetting the rest of all of the counsel that he has in his word. But that's the point we want to see here when the centurion says this marvelous prayer, only say the word and your servant will be healed, is that Jesus' word is the powerful word. Of course, in the big things, his word is powerful. His word is powerful to heal the centurion's servant. His word is powerful to heal your sicknesses. His word is powerful to comfort you in all your troubles. His word is powerful to direct you in your life, that even if you lose the wealth of this world, you could still gain your soul. His word is powerful to comfort you when you feel lonely. His word is powerful to change the bread into the body and the wine into the blood. His word is powerful to sanctify the waters, to make them waters of baptism and regeneration from above. His word is powerful to forgive your sins. Only say the word, Jesus, but not just in the big things, also in the small things. In all those everyday situations, in all those little troubles in life when we would not even think to go to Jesus first, when we think of him as a last resort, he is powerful. His word comes and it comforts us. His word is, as we like to say, sufficient. Sufficient for today. Sufficient for tomorrow. Sufficient for all of the things which may trouble us. Whether that's a little bit of loneliness, even if it's not a big sickness, but even if it's just a little cough. His word is sufficient for all that we need for this body and this life and for our salvation in him. Only say the word. That's all we need. The word alone. Scripture alone. Only say the word and your servant will be healed. We wouldn't even need Jesus to come and be present with us, although he is, because he loves you so much. That is a marvelous faith. Only say the word. Now, Jesus, the centurion continues. And this is when you can tell that it really clicks for him. Whenever he describes the way that Jesus' word 
has this power. He says, for I too am a man under authority. I say to one, go, and he goes. Another, come, and he comes. Another, do this, and he does it. He recognizes that Jesus has authority. His faith recognizes that Jesus' word is powerful because it comes from the authoritative Jesus. This is what makes the word have the power it does. And we can say a couple things about this authority. First of all, authority is actually different, distinct from power, in that it is not taken, but in that it is given. Authority must be given from someone above. For someone to have authority, like someone does in the military, it must come from a higher authority. And because authority is given, not taken, we can see where Jesus gets his authority. His authority comes from his Father in heaven. His authority comes from the Almighty. Whoever knows the Son knows the Father. And because Jesus has authority, his words have all the authority of the whole complete Godhead. His words are the same words that spoke creation into existence. His words have the power to heal. His words have the power, all the power, because they have the authority. And it is also different from power in this way, in that because it is given and not taken, power is something that is taken. Power must happen by brute force. Power does not make things happen in the same way that authority makes things happen. Power is when someone forces something to happen, when someone has power. By force and strength, they force things to happen. But authority is different. The authority of Jesus, it commands respect from people. It's when the person walks into the room and everyone stands up and respects them, and they don't have to force anything to happen. They just say it. Like the centurion says, he just says it, and then it happens. And that is true of Jesus. Jesus does not come by brute force. He does not come into your life and force you to listen to his word. But because his word is clearly an authoritative word, because his word commands authority, because his word comes from above, it elicits our faith in him. It commands our respect. And so we follow his word, not out of fear of punishment. We are free as Christians. We follow his word, not out of fear of punishment of the law, but we follow his word because he has commanded faith from us. He has elicited faith from us because he has the authority, all the authority in heaven and on earth. And so we can trust his word. We can know that what he says is from God himself. And as we live by that word, as we have that marvelous faith that recognizes his authority, it frees us in this way that we do not have to try and continue to seek our own vain and prideful way of living. We don't have to decide for ourselves what to do every day of our life to try and win for ourselves glory from the world But we might gain Christ. We might listen to his word, the authoritative word. 
We might let him command us as our mighty captain. We might let him command us as the one who tells us, go, do this, come. And we will do it, not out of fear of punishment, not out of brute force, but we will do it because he has the authority from God to instruct us, to lead us, to love us, and to save us. And so this is the marvelous faith. The marvelous faith says these three things. I am not worthy. Only say the word, and you have the authority. Jesus, that is a marvelous faith that the centurion has and that we would do well to imitate. And finally, notice this. In verse 11, we already mentioned this a little bit, that Jesus recognizes that without this marvelous faith, there will be ones who should know him. Sons of this kingdom, he says, talking about his own Jewish people, who reject this marvelous faith, who think they know better, who think they are worthy, although they are not, who think that their word is better than Jesus' word, who think that they have authority over their lives and not Jesus. And they will be cast into the outer darkness. But he also says this word of hope that many will come. Many will come from east and from west. Many will come. And they will believe. They will receive this marvelous faith. Many will come from east and from west. And so when you think about marvelous faith, I also want you to think about people who do not have marvelous faith Yet, Remember, the centurion was a very unlikely student of Jesus. And you can think about going east and you can think about going west. Goodman Road is a good example of that, a very busy road that goes east and it goes west. And you can think about all the people who drive along Goodman Road going east and west and how they could come here, converging on Davidson Road. And they could see that marvelous faith. They could hear of that marvelous faith, and they could hear Jesus' authoritative word and have that marvelous faith created in them. And so think about those people. Consider your own marvelous faith, for it is marvelous. And I'll say to you now, ending with the same words that Jesus said to that centurion, Go, and let it be done for you as you have believed. We stand to sing the offertory together.